Welcome everyone to episode 11 of the Talk Tech to Me podcast. I'm your host, Tasia Custodi, and this is our first ever interview episode. Yes, it only took me to episode 11 to get an expert on the podcast, but here we are. Better late than never, I suppose. So this episode is all about the metaverse. So buckle up because we have a lot to cover. So if you've ever wondered, what is the metaverse? How does it work? What are the safety implications of the metaverse? What does the blockchain have to do with it? Are we in the metaverse right now? Well, fear not, my valued listeners. I had the pleasure of chatting with metaverse expert and friend and colleague Gray Williams about all things metaverse. I'm asking all the tough questions and they've got all the answers. So if you've ever wondered any of these things about the metaverse, you are in for a treat with today's episode. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. You're listening to Talk Techie to Me, a podcast that explores the latest and greatest technology and how this tech impacts our lives. I get it, tech can be confusing. That's why I'm diving deep into the tech world to bring you the information that matters most in a relatable, straightforward way. So basically, Gray, the best way when I'm asked how I can describe the metaverse, and I don't know if I'm right on this, but my super lowbrow explanation would be, it's like a virtual reality world. I'm wondering, A, if that scratches the surface of what it is, but also B, in layman's terms, what is the metaverse? You're partially right there. Like the metaverse, the idea that we're getting from a lot of the promotional material that we're seeing um, is that it is a virtual world and you have to put, you know, one of these things on. This is a virtual reality headset uh, from Facebook, I guess Meta now, it's the Meta Quest 2. And uh, that's, that's one way that the metaverse can present itself. But if we start to think of the metaverse more as a concept, let's think of how we interact with each other on the internet right now, which is okay. asynchronously. It's, it's not in time with each other. And so, um, you know, I write a tweet. You see that tweet a couple of hours later. You reply to that tweet. You see an Instagram post. You like it. And it's a day between when it was posted and when it happens. The metaverse is more about immediacy. It's more about actually being there with each other, whether that is in a virtual space together, whether that is attending something digitally together. And so headsets like this give you the ability to feel like you're in the same space, even though you're not. It's more of like a catch, the metaverse is more of all a catch-all term maybe. And really it's like cyberspace, maybe could be interchangeable with it. Um, but it also might be helpful then if we go over a little history maybe of like, a quick little history of the internet to see kind of how we got to what we're all using this catch-all term, the metaverse. That might be helpful for people. We think about the internet as it was when it first came out. You know, I was I was there right back at the beginning. I was you know twelve years old, I think, and writing you know slip scripts to get online by having the telephone modem in my computer call a server, which then gave me access to this vast interconnected network of servers. And so this is one of the things that sort of web, metaverse and what we're also hearing is web three is doing. Back then, the internet was vastly decentralized. If you wanted to run your own website, you could do it off your own server at home, or you could have a server that you know you had rights to in the, in the internet where you'd put your, your information there. And when we wanted that data, we'd say, I would like 
this page from this computer. It would go through all of these hops. We would find the computer that it's sitting on. And it would send it all the way back to us. Web 2.0 basically took that sort of broadcast method because you know, you'd write a web page and that web page was pretty much static and didn't have any sort of interactivity to it for the most part. Web 2.0 gave us interactivity where we could comment on things, where we could basically have a two-way discussion. But it also brought with it something called centralization. When we think of the, the internet right now, I think a lot of people think of Google, Google Bot Blogger. We think of Facebook and Instagram. We think of Twitter. These are centralized services where we are basically going and interacting with, with each other on somebody else's property. It's, it's taken all of that decentralization and brought it back into this set of, set of properties and lumps all around the internet. Web3 actually is looking to decentralize this and push this back out so that there's no one place that we're having to go to again. And we're starting to see things like Google and Facebook looking at this. And over the course of the last four or five years, them providing these platforms for people to be on has actually become kind of dangerous for them because people are saying things that perhaps they don't necessarily agree with or may be illegal or may just cause conversations that they don't want to be responsible for. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing the push to Web3 and to Metaverse. So Metaverse now takes all of these centralized spaces, and we're looking at it right now where it might possibly, again, explode these outwards again, where there are virtual places that we can be, but because of the way that they are hosted and because of the way that we interact with each other, you may have your own personal space that belongs to you again, and people can connect with you in that space. So the idea of cyberspace is putting the space back into cyberspace where we now have places to call our own. We have places that we can actually go and visit where people have things that they call their own. And so it's really taken that and put, put the ball back in the user's court. There's now a piece of the internet that you get to own again, possibly. You'll still go to places like Facebook's Horizon or Meta's Horizon, pardon me, which is um, one of these places where they've got spaces for work and spaces for play. But a lot like how we have our homes right now and possibly we go to work or we go to gyms, we may see that start to push out as the metaverse. I've got my space, I can go places as well. And through decentralization, it all starts to feel a little bit more spread out and a little bit more equal again. Now that we kind of understand a little bit of the history and you know what the basics of the metaverse are, let's get into some real world, okay, maybe that's not a great term. Uh, let's get into what it actually means when we're talking about you know, use cases like right now, how are people using the metaverse right now? What are you seeing? So, so a lot of it has come down to sort of, you know, big corporations taking the risk in building these things out. We saw that there was a Justin Bieber concert that was available exclusively on the metaverse. And so having sort of big event things where we're gathering people again in towards uh, a centralized point. With the Super Bowl, you know, there's currently now an online lounge where you can go and have a virtual beer. This actually kind of re really sort of pays into what's happened over the course of the last two years. If you've been in lockdown for uh, COVID-19, if you haven't been able to go somewhere, but you wanted to go somewhere, now being able to break through the barriers of the actual physical world and go visit that in the digital world, that's one of the applications. You know, we were, we've been looking at this for a number of, of the clients for the agency that I work with and the idea of, you know, virtual retail stores. It's kind of an interesting one because do I actually need to have this idea of a store that I walk around and look around at things? And that brings us to something called, stay with me on this one, skeuomorphism. If you remember back when the iPhone first came out, 
right? The notepad on an iPad on an iPhone looked like a notepad. The calendar looked like a calendar. And they looked like real world things as opposed to digital interpretations of these things. And that can be really powerful because they're things that we're familiar with. But when you start to think about it, do we actually need to replicate the real world in the digital world? We're seeing this moment right now where we've got things like roads between metaverse spaces. And we've got blocks of things in metaverse, metaverse spaces. And they feel familiar, but if you want my opinion, I don't think it's the right way to go. Why would I actually want to have to walk down a digital street when I can teleport there or walk through a portal? And I think this is one of the things that we're going to see um, with metaverse is we're going to see some people struggle with this idea of trying to basically graft the real world into the digital world just for the sake of familiarity. It might work for the first little bit, but I think once we kind of unlock the possibilities in our minds of what these things could be, it's going to be a very, very different way of interacting. You know, you brought up like the Super Bowl lounge and Justin Bieber concert. And, you know, there's people like, like Paris Hilton did a DJ set in the metaverse. And that's something that's very time specific, correct? Like you had, like we had to attend that when it was happening, you know, virtually together type thing. And then it when it's over, it's over. Is, is it always like that? Can you choose if, if your metaverse is like that? Does that make sense? <laughs> And so this, again, this kind of gets into the concept of what the metaverse can be. Currently right now, the idea of immediacy, the idea of being there is very powerful, right? Be here now, because if you're not, it's never going to exist again. I think that's what it's going to be like for the next little while, because we're, we're trying to motivate people to actually take part. The challenge is that I think that's not going to be compelling for people who weren't able to. You know, right now, I, I play a game called Destiny 2. And in that game, starting next week, there is a mission that is the culmination of a year's long worth of effort that's going to be around for one week. I've actually been in positions where things like this, this has happened before, and I've been camping. I've been on vacation. And so the idea of this scarcity, which it's one of those things that we're trying to bring to digital, I think, because when things don't have scarcities, I feel like sometimes their value feels lower for people. But that scarcity can also be quite detrimental if you can't take part. So I think what we're going to see is, yeah, for the next little while, there will be immediacy. But when you think of it this way, if I was able to attend that concert later, I won't be able to interact with anyone. But being able to almost watch along, you know, where I'm a, a ghost in this space, where I can't interact, but I could still see what happened and see, see what went on, I think that's going to be a powerful thing for us. And since everything that's happening here is digital, recording things in perfect fidelity from every angle that we can go backwards and forwards in time, I think that's going to be an incredibly compelling way for people to experience things, even if they've been there, experiencing them again after the fact. So it's kind of like this balance of like FOMO and wanting to capitalize on FOMO. You know, if I'm Paris Hilton, like I want people to either pay or, or what, whatever to like get it in the moment. However, if, if my fans can't do that, they can watch from the, from the background, like a re a replay almost. <laughs> okay. So is everything like a likeness of us, of us? Is it a likeness of me and you? Can you build an avatar? Is it like an animated person? Like what's, what does it actually look like if someone's a super noob to the metaverse like me? How do I know, like who am I interacting with? What do I look like? Can I make that customized? Online, you are who you purport to be, or at least you can be who you purport to be. And so the idea of creating an avatar that doesn't look like you may not be the same gender, um, you know, may not be the same ethnicity, may not be human, and quite often aren't. And so the, the ability to have an avatar that does not resemble you 
is a powerful thing because, you know, for some people, it can be a way of stepping around bias. It can be a way of stepping around how we expect the world to be seen. And so looking at that, you know, can you build avatars that are completely off the wall crazy? In some aspects, you can. Um, you know, we haven't seen any places so far that have had any sort of requirements that your avatar resembles you. Facebook slash Meta, their avatar builder is very much, it is human normative as an approach to what things look like. But I think for a lot of people that are sort of starting to look into Metaverse, it, that's an incredibly restricting way to be. So can you look like yourself? Yes. Can you look like somebody else? Yes. Can you look like something else? Yes. The question is, what's going to be acceptable as the Metaverse goes forwards and in which spaces? And that's a question we're answering right now. Then I want to move on to the blockchain a little bit because a lot of times when people hear about the metaverse, they're hearing things about like blockchain or like crypto and there's all these other words flying around. So first of all, it's going to be important if you can explain what the blockchain is and and then how it's part of the metaverse. So blockchain is a technology that does interact with the metaverse but isn't required for it. And so when we start to think about this, the... Um, Blockchain technology essentially is just a whole bunch of different computers that are keeping track of an ongoing ledger, right? It's just an ongoing recording of transactions. And there are these things called blocks, which they fill up with a certain number of transactions. Uh, these spread out groups of computers all look at it and go, yep, these transactions are valid. And if enough of them say that, then that block is committed to the chain. It's used for a bunch of different things. Right now it's used for cryptocurrency because when I want to give you a dollar, I have to tell the blockchain I'm giving you a dollar. And once that's agreed upon, then that dollar is given to you. Whereas with other systems right now, if you don't have that distributed ledger, if you don't have that validation, it's either validated in one central place, which is vulnerable, right? You hack that one computer and all of a sudden we've got transaction problems. Um, or if you're looking at uh, not being able to validate that, if I try to give a dollar to you and a dollar to somebody else and it doesn't have that sort of lockup, we're looking at, again, being able to, to defraud the system. So blockchain on the whole is actually a really reliable way for us to make sure that transactions are valid. You've probably heard about the environmental aspects of blockchain. That's something called proof of work where these computers are doing work constantly to do this. And they're really burning up energy with video cards and, and specialized processors. Proof of stake actually reduces the amount of energy required. And it's kind of validating through a bunch of approved servers. It's a little bit more centralized, but it's way better for the environment. Where this comes in with Metaverse, though, is that decentralization that I was talking about earlier. When we're looking at you know, Facebook having servers and Google having servers and Twitter having servers, it's all centralized. Now, if we're looking at this and we're hosting a Metaverse experience through the blockchain, it's distributed across all of these other computers. So there's no one place where your metaverse space exists aside from that address. So it can be a really powerful way of being able to step back from, you know, big tech as folks are saying it right now, have your own little piece of the internet that is now spread across all of these servers, but validated by everyone. It gives us something that is secure, something that is more protected and something that is basically for users far more powerful. So you touched on a few things that got me thinking about maybe safety. Um, in the metaverse. And there have been a couple little articles and reports I was reading on, you know, like a woman felt, you know, she was basically assaulted by other users, I guess is, you know, how I would put it in, in layman's terms. What are the safety protocols in place? Are there any 
Uh, do users self-police? Uh, how do these then translate offline, so to speak, in terms of bringing people to justice? So, so looking at that, the, the boundaries that are applied by different systems are going to be the rules that you play by in any given space. And I think one of the things here is going to be awareness for anybody that's getting into a metaverse space so they know what the boundaries are as they get in. Um, Meta, Facebook, has done a really good job introducing something called personal boundary, which essentially is a four-foot radius around you where people uh, cannot enter. And if they do try to enter, their hands disappear. It's made for some interesting things. One, people can no longer do the same sort of griefing, you know, cause, like, abuse that they were causing to people before. Um, it has made something very interesting, though, which is if you are going to try to high-five someone or fist bump them, you now have to reach right outside. You know, with you under your controls, you got to reach right outside so that you're way back here in order to be able to give somebody a fist bump or a super high-five. Uh, it's something they're working around right now. Okay, so you did mention Meta a little bit. And to give everybody a quick history, Facebook changed its name to Meta. Um, and that's left some people confused as to what their role in the metaverse is. So I want you to clarify a little bit. What is their role in the metaverse? Does Facebook own the metaverse? Does the name Meta have nothing to do with the metaverse? Explain. So sure. The, the name Meta for Facebook does have metaverse connotations. It's very much meant to be. We're the company that is pushing metaverse forwards. Let's be clear. They're not the only one. They really desperately want this to be a thing that succeeds because, again, over the course of the last five years, they've had a number of missteps that have just made them disliked on all sides of the dice. And so what they have done is they bought a company called Oculus and they poured a ton of money into what was now the Oculus Quest 2 is now the Meta Quest 2 in an effort to get this into the hands of consumers. This is a standalone VR headset that should cost $600. They're taking a loss on this right now. That's how much they believe in it. They are by no, by no means the only people in the space. Valve has their Index headset. Uh, HP has their G2. There are a number of other headsets that are available that will give you access to the virtual world part of the metaverse. So Facebook doesn't control it. They want to, but they don't. Um, they are not the only ones playing in the space. What they are doing though, is they're giving consumers a relatively cheap way to get into this. Um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook or Meta, and I think that's pretty much on record with a lot of people. I felt comfortable buying this for a couple of reasons. One, you can sideload software on here so it doesn't have to be Facebook software. You can separate your Facebook account from your Meta account now, your Oculus account, which is good. Looks like it might have less telemetry, less tracking. Uh, and three, me buying this cost Mark Zuckerberg money. And that felt really good to me. So if you want to learn even more about the metaverse, Gray has a really informative article on it. And I will link to that in the show notes. Or if you'd rather watch us talk about the metaverse, head on over to my YouTube channel for the full video and discussion there. I'll link to that too for you. You can follow Gray on all the socials. They're at Gray Williams. That's Gray with an E on the end, G-R-A-Y-E. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment on this episode and let me know your thoughts. Now, if you've enjoyed today's episode, well, I want to know that too. So share it with your friends on social media, leave a comment or connect with me on the interwebs. I'm at Tasia Custody on all the things. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love for you to leave a review. That helps others find this podcast too. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Talk Techie to Me, and we'll chat real soon.